What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today is another episode of Monday Mailbag, a full show dedicated to answering listener questions. If you want to get involved, just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Anytime you're thinking of a question, I'll be, I'll see it, add it to my little document and answer it on the show, or watch this guys on Monday morning when I specifically solicit questions on Twitter. Either way, I'll see it. So that's what we're going to do today, a full show of listener questions like we do every week. Let's get it started. This first one comes from your boy Ra at PDX Ra on Twitter who asks, over under on how many worst losses of the season you can have before you should tank? I think the Blazers are close. Your boy Ra submitted this question right after the Blazers lost at the Knicks, which by my count is their seventh loss of the year that could be counted among the worst losses of the season, in quotes. I, I think the top three are without a doubt at Golden State early in the season. They just got thrashed by an undermanned Golden State team that was playing without D'Angelo Russell and without Draymond Green, obviously without their two-star backcourt players as well. Um, that was as, as bad as it gets for the Blazers. At Sacramento, about 10 days later, that was a, a just a terrible loss. The Kings were without De'Aaron Fox or Marvin Bagley and Marvin Bagley. And then the, the latest loss to the Knicks, where the Blazers just got punked by a not very good Knicks team. Others I would add to the list, that Nets game where Dame scored 60 and the Blazers still lost. At Cleveland early on in the, um, in the Mellow tenure, this, I believe that was the second game of the Mellow experience. They looked terrible in that game. Uh, at home against the Pelicans recently was a pretty bad loss, although the Pelicans aren't that bad. They might end up passing the Blazers in the standings. And then home against Phoenix, that one was the chance for the Blazers to beat a, like a kind of a good team, and they didn't get it done. Other candidates in the might be the worst loss of the season coming up, home against the Charlotte Hornets, home against the Warriors again, that would be a nightmare, home against the Wizards, Kings, and Minnesota in March, all candidates for worst loss of the season. But to answer your question over under, I'm going to say... 2.5. If you hit the over, if you get to a third worst loss of the season from this point moving forward, I think it's time to go ahead and pull the plug. So should they lose to the Hornets and Warriors? I think we're at DEFCON levels and it's time to tank. Okay, next question comes from Christian. That's Ill Krill on Twitter who asks, is there non-personnel reasons for why the defense sucks? Christian, you are speaking the language of uh, Blazers Twitter. Someone else asked me this question on Twitter, and uh, they didn't leave their tweet up there, but you came in and, and cleaned up the slack. You said, that's a good question. I'm going to follow through. Maybe you didn't see that, but that's how it worked out anyways. Here's, here's my quick answer to your question, Christian. One, the main reason that the Blazers' defense is bad is personnel. Their two guards aren't particularly good defenders. CJ and Dame, they're both effort guys. They don't they don't always play incredibly hard on defense, but for the most part, they are focused and locked in and try to try to defend despite their shortcomings. But everyone else on the roster is kind of a minus defender. I thought Kent Bazemore was going to be a better defender than he is. He hasn't been that. But Carmelo Anthony, a notoriously bad defender for his whole career. He's competitive when you're right in front of him, but in terms of being a help side defender and all those, um, just moving in space and doing stuff like that is uh, is not his forte. And Hassan Whiteside is not a good defensive player. I know he blocks a lot of shots, guys. I know that he he literally is, 
quite literally is the best rim protector in the league. If you look at defensive field goal percentage inside the restricted area, he's definitely that. But he's not good at the holistic team defense, like guarding guys in space, preventing people from getting to spots where they want to go. Just, just, he's just not a good defender, guys. If you, you can disagree with me, that's fine. But so is there a non-personnel reason, though? And I think this is the core of what a lot of people are curious about. Is there something going on? I don't, I'm not around the team enough to really say definitively, oh, this guy doesn't like this guy and there's beef and all there's this. But I can tell you this. For the little time I am around the team, I'm in the locker room after every home game. I don't think the Blazers' sort of magic chemistry that they've had over the last few seasons is there. And that could be for a couple reasons. One, this is just a new group. That group last season had been together four full years, and you're talking about just incorporating some small parts or just one player at a time. You say, hey, Seth Curry, welcome to the club. Here's how we do things here. Everyone gets along. Or later in the year, Rodney Hood, who, who ended up really liking it, and Ennis Cantor, who I don't think loved his time in Portland, but didn't rock the boat or anything like that. But for the most part, they had a core intact. They had a group of guys who had been here and been around for a long time. They don't have that this year. It's a bunch of new parts. And I think the bunch of new parts has been a challenge for them, no doubt about it. And I just think from watching them, you can tell that the losing has kind of caught up with them a little bit. And I think losing kind of begets losing in this situation is they didn't, they're still trying to develop that chemistry. And when you're trying to develop chemistry and you're losing, you are getting those worst losses of the season as referenced in the first question. It's hard to feel like pals. I just don't think this team is as together, the sort of magic of chemistry that everyone likes to point to with the Blazers. I don't think that's here. I don't think there's like this crazy beef in the locker room. I just don't think the sort of special brew that they've had the last couple seasons that kind of got them to win regular season games maybe they should lose just doesn't exist with this team. So the non-personnel reason is that this group does not have the chemistry and the good vibes that previous versions of the Blazers did. Next question comes from HR at Archar Effects on Twitter, who asks, do we get a trade by January 15th? I will just take the conservative approach and say no, generally because I think deadlines spur actions. So the Blazers will make a trade. I predict 100% a trade will happen, but I'm going to say no on January 15th. I, be, I believe it'll be closer to the February 6th deadline. That's just total, I, that's just a gut feeling. I got no, I got no sources on that. That's my gut Next question comes from Dustin Cotton at Solomus on Twitter, who asks, as a lifelong fan, why should I keep watching? It hurts, and it hurts watching guys continue to get injured and go down all season. Well, Dustin, if you are a lifelong fan of the Blazers, you got to be used to guys getting hurt and going down all season. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to make light of it. These are people's physical bodies. That's that's not my intention, but I mean, for real though, if you've if you've been a fan of this team, they've had some crushing injuries. That's kind of part of it. It's kind of part of being a Blazer fan is that they have a history, bad luck history with injuries. But more to the point, why should you keep watching? Because if you're a lifelong fan, this is kind of the this is how it works. Most teams lose. Sports is about suffering. And I don't mean that in some sort of like major Buddhist way, but I do mean that if you are a fan of a team, if you have an emotional connection with the team and you feel kindred with them and their wins and losses, most seasons you are going to be sad. It is going to end badly for you. And I think the absolute magic 
of the Blazers' playoff run last year, not just that they made the Western Conference Finals, but the way they did it. Damian Lillard hits a 37-footer to end the series, waves goodbye to a hated rival. They win a Game 7 on the road in a series that also featured them winning a four-overtime thriller. So many special moments in the playoffs, I think, have made this season hurt a little bit more, and the Blazers didn't do you any favors by talking about championships before the season, and the GM saying this was the deepest, most talented roster he had ever assembled. Those were not true statements, guys. He might have exaggerated. But if you're a fan of this team, if you're a fan of any team in any sport, you watch because what else would you do? My, uh, I'm a, I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm a huge Carolina basketball fan. I still watch every game. My dad still lives in Chapel Hill. He watches every game too. He describes Carolina is terrible this year, like, like apocalyptically bad. They're awful. And he describes it as a television show he doesn't like. He'll still tune in, but he doesn't enjoy this television show. So, uh, you know, stick with it. This season might suck, but, uh, it's eventually they'll get new characters. They'll do a little thing called recasting. And you'll find yourself right back on board, signing up for season 35 or wherever you are in your fandom. Okay, next segment, more questions from you, the listeners. All right, still Mailbag Monday. We're still answering your questions. And now we're going to do a whole slew of questions about trades because it is trade season. Second segment dedicated to your ideas and mine about what the Blazers can do to improve the roster and trade the tall guy. All right, this first one comes from Adam Levine. That's Adam J. Levine 09 on Twitter. Adam, if you pronounce your last name Levine, tweet at me and I'll get it right next time. Adam's question. There's been talk of the 76ers being interested in CJ McCollum. Putting yourself in the general manager's seat, what would an ideal package from Philly look like in order to give him up? Okay, I think a couple things before we really get going. One, I don't... I'm. The way I understand the CBA, CJ McCollum can't technically be traded until January 30th. So he can be traded at this year's deadline, but he cannot be traded today. So that's a weird technicality. The other thing is that I think the best trade that the Blazers and Sixers could make together would be a Ben Simmons-CJ McCollum swap. But Ben Simmons, who signed a max extension this offseason, is still on his rookie deal. So he's only making $8 million this year. So the way I understand the trade rules, you can't really trade Simmons for CJ McCollum, which I, I believe is the best deal, until this summer. So let me just say that. I think that's the best deal. It's a CJ for Simmons swap. But now, we're talking about right now to improve these teams right now. Here's what I got for you. The Blazers send CJ to Philadelphia for Tobias Harris. The teams agree to swap first-round picks, so Philadelphia gets the better of the Oklahoma City or Blazers first-rounder in 2020, and the Blazers get back two second-round picks, including Atlanta's 2020 pick. Now, you might say this is a ripoff. CJ McCollum is a lot better than Tobias Harris. And I agree, but Tobias Harris is younger. Um, He plays a position of need for the Blazers. It's hard to trade good players. You kind of have to often settle for less than perfect packages. So I do think in the future there's a Philly trade that's sexy and sexier and better i think that's my best most realistic trade for the blazers right now um i don't think that's a good one though 
Okay, next question comes from AI Synthesis at AI Synthesis on Twitter, who asks, should the Blazers trade Hassan Whiteside for a wacky inflatable tube man? Oh man, my my first thought was that a wacky inflatable tube man has got real good length. Um, you know, always uses that length, extends its arms, plays big all the time. So I looked it up. The highest end, the nicest wacky inflatable tube man I could find was $2,100 before shipping. So we're talking probably like $2,500 all in. It's 25 feet tall, 18 inches in diameter, can come in any color we want. We'll get red and black for the Blazers. I, well, I I would consider wacky inflatable tube man. I think the long-term upside and its offensive limitations uh, can't really dribble or catch and has to stand in the paint would get some defensive three seconds calls so i think you gotta keep Hassan if all you're getting back is wacky inflatable tube man okay next question comes from jordan poe at jordan powell 456 on twitter who asks would you keep Hassan next year say if we could get him for a deal on two years and a total of 17 18 million i would not under any circumstances keep Hassan whiteside on this roster that's the short of it uh if the blazers think nurk is healthy then he's the guy. He's incredibly cheap. Um, I, I can't imagine Hassan Whiteside being a good backup just in terms of a guy who was a good teammate. I don't see that working out well for him. I think he sees himself as a starting center and will go pursue a job as a starting center in the league. Um, I think if Zach Collins is healthy, I'd rather roll with him as your, as your starting four and kind of backup five and get a minimum level guy as your third big in that situation and not pay $9 million to a backup center, even if it's not Hassan Whiteside. I understand there are plenty of fans and listeners who think Hassan Whiteside is good. I'm, I'm not in that boat, guys. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's been good for the Blazers this year. You can disagree. But uh, I got the microphone right now, so I'm sharing my opinion. So yeah, maybe that's a fair market deal, but it's not a deal that I would be excited about if I were the Blazers. Okay, next question comes from plain old Pete Normal at Bob underscore Deeger on Twitter who asks, Assuming the Blazers do try to trade us on Whiteside before the deadline, what teams, if any, would value his expiring contract and or skill set? I think this cuts to the problem the Blazers are going to face over the next month. We are one month officially, as I hit record on this, away from the trade deadline. Over the next month, I think the Blazers are going to find that the market for Hassan Whiteside is relatively narrow. It's not super easy to move him. One, giant contract. That's just, it is what it is. Um, Players should always try to get paid the most money they possibly can, but it puts teams, at least to some extent, makes it more difficult to trade the chips. It's easier to trade the mid-level salary numbers. That's just life. So I think it's really narrow. So it, why I think Kevin Love's name keeps coming up is because Kevin Love is the sort of flavor of player you'd have to trade him for. He has a massive contract of his own. He's owed $90 million beyond this season. Uh, the Cavs also have Tristan Thompson, so somebody like that who's making a bunch of money and who's a veteran and, and that a team wouldn't necessarily covet Hassan Whiteside's skills because I don't think there is a I don't think there is a playoff team right now outside of the Boston Celtics that needs a center like capital N needs a center and the Celtics have better options Ennis Cantor is better than Hassan Whiteside straight up 
I think another team that that could potentially covet, um, not necessarily his skill set, but his, but Hassan Whiteside's expiring contract would be the Pistons. Sounds like Blake Griffin is headed for season-ending surgery. I can't imagine the Blazers trading for Blake heading into a, another knee surgery. I mean, that's that just seems crazy. But apparently Andre Drummond is on the market. I think there's a situation where, uh, I've mentioned this before, where the Pistons might be headed for a total rebuild and some version of picks and expiring contract would appeal to them. Drummond has a player option for next year that he has made publicly and privately clear that he's going to decline. Other teams that I think could conceivably get in the mix would be like a team like Charlotte has Nick Batum, but the Blazers aren't going to trade for Nick Batum. But it's it's big. It's teams with big money veterans with years remaining on their contracts, or guys like Andre Drummond who are walking out the door and also expiring, and you got to trade for. There just aren't a lot of guys. It's a relatively narrow market. I think you could see potentially a team like Atlanta get involved. They have Chandler Parsons and Alan Crabb and Evan Turner. I don't think the Blazers are necessarily. Uh, headed for a reunion with any of those guys, but if they could, the, the Hawks could be in the market to facilitate a deal and get an asset back because they're not a very good team. I think Hassan Whiteside at best has neutral trade value, and by that I mean you don't have to necessarily trade an asset with him, but you're going to have to take something back that is equally unsavory, and that might be at the best, best, best case scenario, $90 million of 33-year-old Kevin Love. Okay, next question comes from Sir Wheezy, at Wheezy Sir. If the Blazers do eventually trade for Kevin Love, what? We're talking about Kevin Love again? Uh, Sir Wheezy continues, what secondary moves would you like to see happen? I.e. sign and trade for a center or a wing type player, any targets you like out there. So if the Blazers do trade uh, for Kevin Love, let's assume they trade a combination of Hassan Whiteside or Kent Bazemore. And let's just assume that it is Hassan Whiteside because the the money matches up better. It's easier. It's an easier swap to trade Whiteside. So in that case, um, the Blazers will definitely still need a wing because their wing um, their wing core is terrible, and they'll probably need another immediately usable big, like someone who could play later that day, because they would be they're already pretty small. Kevin Love can play center. He might even be a center at this point in his career, but they would need another big. So. Here is my best cooked up potential secondary trade after you swap Hassan Whiteside for Kevin Love. And that's without getting into the details of what that trade looks like. So the next trade could be something like Kent Bazemore, Gary Trent Jr., and Scalabi Sierra to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Robert Covington and Gorgie Jang. I don't know if the T-Wolves would do that. Um, I don't know what kind of picks the Blazers would have to attach to take that. Obviously, they're taking on Gorgie Jang, who has multiple years in... Uh, eight-figure salary owed to him, so perhaps that would um, entice the T-Wolves to make a move, but you'd probably have to give up more assets to get Covington. He's going to be, I mean, he's a really good defensive wing player, and they're just, who can shoot it? I mean, that's a really coveted thing in the league right now, so that's that's going to be high in the list. He's going to be high in the list for a lot of really good teams. Uh, some sort of, some version of Love and Gorgie Jang might be an even worse defensive front court than the Blazers already have, but at least it would be a different kind of bad defense. Okay, third segment, we're going to come back, finish out the show, answering more of your questions. All right, welcome back. Still Mike Richmond, still past first point guard, still locked on Blazers, and still Mailbag Monday, answering a slew of listener questions. 
We didn't get to this trade-based question in the last in the last segment, so we're going to start off segment three with it. This is from Neil Olshay's burner account at Paint in PDX, who asks, "How does the knowledge that there is a good chance you'll be traded affect players' performance, locker room chemistry?" And uh, Paint in PDX adds, "For the record, I think the guys on our team in this position are handling it very well." Yeah, it's I'm, you don't I don't think guys are freaking out about it. Uh, I think it's just a reality. When you've a been traded like Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside and are entering the final year of your contract, you know it can happen again. But um, what this made me think of was Tanya Ganguly um, of the Los Angeles Times, beat writer for the Lakers, wrote a really interesting piece last year about how the young uh, Lakers dealt with knowing that they were being dangled in trade offers all season. That was incredibly public, that saga between the Lakers and the Pelicans. Anthony Davis's agent said he wants to get traded to the Lakers. The Pelicans, for whatever reason, um, I think you can guess why, kept leaking what the package was um, publicly. So then the sort of the trade negotiations played out very, very public. So it's it was these specific players and these specific picks for Anthony Davis, which means that the guys who are the specific players in the trade saw their names on social media. But I think uh, a couple a couple quotes from that story stand out and kind of paint the picture of what it can be like. So Contavious Caldwell Pope told Tanya Ganguly that at the trade deadline, everybody lost themselves. The locker room changed. Everybody was pretty much worried about that, especially guys that haven't been through it. They were worried where they were going to end up, how they were going to do it, how it was going to mentally affect them. Kyle Kuzma said, for the first time in our life as young players, and not even just because everyone was in talks, but it was the first time realizing that basketball is a business. For us, our whole life as young players, we've been strictly have fun, enjoy the game. All this and all that, but then you get to the NBA and part of going back to what Magic Johnson said, growing up you have to realize this is a business and you can always say control what you can control, but without going through something first, you can't really listen to other people's logic behind things. And finally, Josh Hart said, no one's perfect. You slip a little bit, but that's when your teammates are there to pick you up. So I guess it was annoying. The media made it annoying. Social media made it annoying. But at the end of the day, there was no frustration with each other. No frustration between us and the front office. We were all a collective unit and we tried to be professionals. So I think I like those quotes because it gives you the full um, the full spectrum. Contavious Caldwell Pulp saying everybody lost themselves. Josh Hart saying no, we were all the collective unit. And Kyle Kuzma just saying, man, the reality sets in. So while I can't give you a sort of a specific um, anecdote about where the Blazers are, I think, yes, it absolutely um, affects guys. They, you just, you, you cannot avoid it. There is just the uncertainty in your life is unavoidable. And so I think it, I think it affects guys. Um, whether that affects their play you would have to assume it does to some extent, but it's harder to say than just it affects them mentally. It makes going to work a little bit more challenging. Okay, next question comes from Christy, at Christy Sparks on Twitter, who asks, what's up with all the back injuries? Yeah, Damian Lillard, Nazir Little, and Mario Hazonia have all missed games with back spasms. Uh, I don't have a good answer for you, Christy. It happens. Um, sometimes people, you know, a bunch of guys twist their ankle on a team. Um you know, they, they run around, they jump a lot, it hurts your back. I don't have a good answer for you, but uh, kudos for noticing that it is a the the injury of the year for the Blazers in many ways. The, the sort of recurring nagging injury of the year. They've had some other big ones too. Okay, another one from at Peyton PDX, Neil Olshay's burner account on Twitter, who asks, Can you explain how a player, use of Nurkic for the sake of argument, let's say 
has 15 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks, and 55% true shooting percentage helps the team more than a player with better box scores like, for instance, Hassan Whiteside, 16 points, 14 rebounds, 3 blocks, and 61% true shooting percentage. So how can a player help with worse stats? I mean, that that's obvious. You can see that with your eyes. If you watch this team and think that Hassan Whiteside is as good or even close to as good as Yusuf Nurkic, you're wild to me. Um, you're experiencing something that I'm not experiencing, and I accept that. We all we all get to experience the world the the way we do. But um, Hassan is just way worse than than Yusuf Nurkic, and a handful of rebounds don't make the difference. But but pain PDX. There's also other numbers than just the box score numbers. In fact, one of the box score numbers you left out that I would think maybe illustrates the picture as clear as anything is that Hassan Whiteside averages like a one assist a game and Yusuf Nurkic averages three and a half. He's just a better playmaker. He does more stuff. But additionally, there are advanced numbers, these sort of catch-all, big catch-all advanced stats that kind of point to how much better, and I know we're hammering on this, Nurk is than Whiteside, but in general, how much better player with one counting stats is can be better than this player with these counting stats is. For instance, Hassan Whiteside this season is 15th among centers in real plus-minus. This is uh, an adjusted plus-minus stat created by ESPN. He's 15th among centers and 82nd overall. Last season, Nurk was 6th among centers and 21st overall. He was one of, I've said this a million times, one of the 30 best players in the NBA. So I guess my point is that if you want to look at statistics, there are sort of larger efficiency statistics where one guy might rank better than another guy. Nurk, for instance, has higher offensive win shares and defensive win shares and total win shares than last season than Hassan Whiteside does this season. But that kind of belies the point. The point is that you can just watch. And I I disagree with the idea that Hassan Whiteside is lazy. I think that's for lack of a better term, a lazy take. That's someone who hasn't watched him enough. What he is, is maybe too focused on individual stats. Here's the critique I would have of Hassan Whiteside. There are times when he could use his massive frame to push two dudes out of the way and let Nazir Little grab a rebound, but instead Whiteside's instincts are to be really tall, go straight up, battle for a rebound without necessarily maybe blocking out. Now, the problem is that, not that he doesn't block out, is that he doesn't block out in that sort of Ed Davis way where you completely remove yourself from the play. Or Robin Lopez where he rarely got rebounds, but the Blazers were a much better rebounding team when he was on the floor. I think Whiteside is probably too much of a scapegoat this season because he's being asked to be asked to do too much. But if you just point to his box score numbers over and over and over again and say, how can a dude have 15 and 18 and 5 blocks and be bad? You aren't watching the real game. The Blazers are a terrible defensive team with the guy who leads the NBA in blocks. You know, it's just maybe it adds up that some of his box score numbers don't lead to winning. And if you think I'm wrong, yet again, I've been kind of mean to Son Whiteside uh, every time I've hosted this podcast, and particularly today. Sorry. Okay, a couple more and then we'll get out of here. Next question comes from Darth Wilson at Justin underscore B underscore Leak. On Twitter, who asks, what is the most ridiculous or awesome or whack halftime show you've seen at the Rose Center slash, oh, excuse me, he says Rose Center Moda Garden. See what you did there, Justin, or Darth. Um, hmm. Okay, I, one thing. I have been begging Todd Bosma, who is the master of ceremonies at the Rose Center Moda Garden, to get baby races 
love me some baby races. Um, my my favorite sort of recurring halftime act is Red Panda, uh, the woman who unicycles and flips bowls onto her head. Um, I've been really into the speed painter guy that they've had, or, or inter- I forget what they call him, but he basically paints like a portrait from a blank canvas, and they've had him in at both of their uh, uh Decade nights. They had him at 70s night and 80s night. He drew a picture of Bill Walton. They drew a picture of uh, Jim Paxson. And it was, um, he's fun. I like those. Uh, the mo- the whack ones to me are um, like youth cheerleading teams because uh, I think it's nerve wracking for a bunch of middle school age cheerleaders and also a little bit odd and no one in the arena cares. Um, not, not my personal favorite. Um, the lady who spins around on one hoop, she does like a, it's not like really a hula hoop. She kind of like rolls in the hoop. I don't care for her tricks either. I don't love quick change. The couple that changes clothes a bunch. I know people do like quick change, but quick change, not for me. All right. That was my run through of all the halftime shows. I've got a lot in my head, more than, more than I thought when I started to write this, answer the question down. Okay. Last one comes from HR. That's HRFX on Twitter who asks, do you think Anthony Simons gets in the dunk contest this year. My gut is no. I think Anthony Simons would be awesome in the dunk contest. Dude has incredible hops, can really, really leap. But the names that have come out, uh, sounds like Dwight Howard is going to do it. Sounds like Derek Jones Jr., a.k.a. Airplane Mode of the uh, Miami Heat is going to do it. And I read today Zach Levine, the uh, the the all-Star Game is in Chicago, so Chicago's Zach Levine kind of hinted that he would consider doing it. So I, I just, I don't think Ant is the guy. I don't think his star is quite bright enough, um, but he would be really good at it, and if he, if he was in it, it would be really exciting. So my gut is no. This is like, you asked me two gut questions, <laughs> trade by January 15th or uh, Ant in the dunk contest. I said no on both. Kind of negative today, but that's how it shakes out. Okay, that's all the questions we got for this episode. I really sincerely appreciate all of you for submitting questions. I love Monday Mailbag. I hope you do too. If you want to get involved, here's how you do it. Just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a Blazers or NBA question at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Or wait for Monday morning, Monday Pacific time, if you live in another part of the country, when I solicit questions on Twitter. I'll send out a tweet that says, send me your questions, you send them in. I'm really, I have a really good hit rate with these. I've I've hit close to 100%. So if you submit a question, it's going to make the show. Do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.